Good evening, everyone. This is Laurel Hightower. Welcome to another episode of Ink Heist. I'm here with Shane Douglas Keene and Rich Duncan. And tonight we have with us Armand Rosamilia. Armand, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And you pronounce the name perfectly. I love that. <laughs> Except I did leave out the fucking, I'm sorry, Armand Rosa fucking Milia. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we forgot the Jersey reference. Yeah, yeah. For all the Jersey <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> Well, Armand, we're uh, we're really glad to have you on tonight, um, and we'll do. We usually start uh, as you may be familiar with with our sort of um, new kid in school rundown. Uh, you have a really long list of stuff you're involved with, so it might take a minute, but um, have at. Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of stuff. So. Um... Yeah, you're psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I have over a hundred releases mostly horror but i have some crime fiction stuff i have contemporary fiction i do a lot of non-fiction um i'm also a podcaster i have two different podcasts armcast podcast where i interview people uh filmmakers authors people who are interesting i also do the mondo method podcast with co-host chuck buddha and we talk about publishing and and basically that's all the things that over the 30 years of writing i've i've fucked up which is so it's always a, a, a good inner uh, uh, podcast. The fuck? Because um, basically I get to show all my warts and everything else. And and I also own the network that those two shows are on. And um, that's really it. I mean, that's just that's. And then I sleep every now and then. <laughs> not often, clearly. But. <laughs> not, not often. <laughs> so we had a few bumps getting you on here, but we finally managed to get it done. I was I was starting to take it personally, guys. I mean, it was like two or three times we we uh, I got bumped <laughs> off, and then we we're trying to figure out a day that we could do it. I was getting uh, un until you guys actually uh, picked up on this call. I was like, they're they're messing with me. They're they're still not <laughs> <laughs> sitting here giggling. <laughs> yeah, your your whole episode is like, hey, we screwed them over again. This is awesome. <laughs> Tonight we want to talk about. Armand Rosamilia. <laughs> but not with him, just talk about yeah, him. About him. <laughs> You're always running uh, perpetually at least, you know, five or six minutes late, and then I have a new microphone, and, and I'm not great with it, so I thought I killed it, but I just, I actually plugged it into the wrong place, so. <laughs> That's nice. The technology is always so awesome. It is. <laughs> So let me ask you something, I guess, since we're here doing this. Um, <laughs> I'm an incredible smartass. I smoked too much weed before we started. Um, what kind of you must are you freaky organized? No, I am totally, totally creative and I'm like all over the place. So when um, me and my wife first started dating, it was great because she was like, oh, you do this for a living? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I had just really, within a year, I had, I had gone full time. And she's like, how many words do you write? And I'm like, ah, oh, a bunch. She's like, how much money, you know, you know, keep track of your finances? I'm like, oh, no, I got money in the bank. And that's kind of it. And it was like all over the place. I had no <laughs> idea how much I made, how much I wrote, anything. So she she is very organized, thank God. And she made me like a a writing spreadsheet and I have my money spreadsheet and I have everything organized and even like the podcast stuff is now organized. And, uh, there are days when I don't, I just, I'm just going to write and drink a lot of coffee today kind of thing. And, uh, and then she'll come home from work and she's like, 
you know, it used to be, did you write today? You know, what, you know, how'd you do? And I'd be like, yeah, I wrote a bunch, but I have no idea. So now I'm actually so crazy with it that I keep track of like every word for like the past five years. I've had a spreadsheet for every year. And uh, my goal is 400,000 words a year to write. And I'll actually figure out ahead of time, okay, I have to write this for a deadline or I need this short story done. So it's, it's kind of gotten really crazy to the other side in my head now where I get pissed off at myself if I don't write, you know, X number of words a day and stuff. Yeah, Damn. I can't do that because I'd shoot myself. <laughs> 400,000 like, words a year. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, if you break it down, it's 1,096 words a day. So that's not bad. Okay. No, not really. Laurel wrote like 5,000 of them today, so it's doable. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a normal day. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm also nerdily glad that someone else appreciates uh, spreadsheets the way that I do. I'm <laughs> I'm really big on Excel, so. Yeah, and well, I am. Go ahead. I was going to say I'm nerdily glad that someone else appreciates wives as much as I do because <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a brain without mine. Oh, God, God, yeah. We, I did a book signing today local book signing and then of course she's even though i've done like i don't know, like probably 200 book signings it doesn't matter i'm like all right let's just pack ro throw random books in a in a crate and bring it with us and she's like no let's figure out what we need and then she's like oh well uh, you need your table runner uh i guess so do you need you know bookmarks i guess so do you need a tablecloth like she she has figured out and she could set the and she literally will set the table up for me in about fifteen minutes. And she's like, "Hand me books, and I'll hand her books like an idiot." And she'll just put them up, and it looks really nice and pretty. And then on the signings, when I don't do it with her, I'm like, "I don't remember. It. Do I put the books on the table, under the table? Do I throw them at customers when they go by? Do I need a sandwich board? <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah." Oh, that's awesome that she's been able to, you know, kind of take that part in it. Does she often go to your signings with you? She does. She, she goes to most of them, especially when, we, when we're on the road. And uh, and we did the last few years, we've done a lot of conventions at the state. And so she enjoys uh, being able to go. And her job, her career, uh, so she's a commercial property manager. So she's all numbers and all that. Uh, and she's been there for a long time, so she gets a lot of days off. So we love the travel because then we do stuff while we're in different places. And uh, so she really, really does it. So every year we do a thing called Beers and Fears. I go back up to New Jersey and I hang out with a bunch of authors and we do like four or five breweries up in New Jersey, which is great because drunk people love to buy books. And <laughs> it's, it's literally her behind the table keeping track and taking all the money. And then, like me, Chuck Buddha, Frank Edler, Tim Meyer, and we always have a couple of guests with us. Uh, we're literally walking around drinking beers, just talking to people. And every now and then, she's like, yells at you, like, come over here and sign this book for this customer, kind of thing. So she's like selling. She She's read all the books. She sells the books for us. It's like, it's like a great, they love it because when we're not, when we don't do an event with them, they're like, well, that, that event sucked because we didn't have Shelly behind the table, you know? <laughs> That sounds like a pretty cool event. I've seen it pop up uh, here and there. Like, how did you guys, like, end up starting that? 
I um, <clears throat> so I was um, I'm from New Jersey originally. I've been down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida since 2001. And about four years, five years ago, I wanted to go back up and I wanted to visit. I hadn't been up there. And my wife is from here, so she had never been up north. And I said, well, I'll take you back to you know, where I grew up and everything. And I wrote a book called Belford Stories, which is contemporary fiction. And Belford is the town that I grew up in. It's this little fishing village in New Jersey. And I said, oh, I wrote this story. Let me figure out a place that I could do a signing in, hopefully in Belford. And somebody said, oh, do Belford Brewing Company. And I said, oh, who runs it? And they said, oh, this guy, Kevin Enney. And I'm like, Kevin played guitar in my awful, awful punk band in high school. So I've known him for like, you know, 30 something years. So um, I got in touch with him and he had it and we did just the one signing there and we blew through the books and it was amazing. And so the next year I said, you know what, let's do a couple of different uh, breweries. And I think it went to uh, four breweries right away in the second one, but I added the other authors. So the four of us have done it every year, usually May or uh, April or May or June uh, something like that. So like this year we're doing only three signings and we're going to do a bar in Philly uh, for one of them. And then the next day we'll be at Spellbound Brewing in Mount Holly, New Jersey. We do that one every year. That's like the best one. So we've had like Todd Kiesling uh, join us on there. JC Walsh did his first book signing. We've had Summer Cannon did her very first book signing with us. Uh, Dan Padovana has done it with us. Um, uh, Matt Minocchio has has done them with us. So we've had a bunch of, of really cool different people who have um, come in and out and done them like win a one or two events with us. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. I, I used to live like a little bit outside of Philly. I moved out of there around the time I went to college. But that seems like a really unique way to have like a book signing because I like books and I like beer. So I, I would be totally all over that. Yeah, it's 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 so much. It's like so much fun because then we also had a lot of other authors and different people like Frank Arrington. Uh, uh, came he was actually left the hospital that morning and then came to the he still had the band on his wrist and he came to the book signing to hang out and buy books with us and i'm like dude you should be home <laughs> you know but you're you're you actually came here to uh to a book signing for us and uh, uh and we've been able to meet a ton of really cool readers and stuff and then you know the best part is beer and you know drunk people <laughs> will they keep coming yeah. back to the table and buying more books at the end of the night which is nice you know, the thing about drunk people, too, is that not only do they like to buy books, they like to buy from the creators. Yeah. You know, and and especially in that environment, you know, where they're likely sampling beers and getting sloshed. And <laughs> you know, it's kind of a kind of a crafty environment in the first place anyway. Yeah. We always we always say it's going to be it's going to be awesome the next morning when they wake up with a hangover and go, the fuck did I just buy? You know, <laughs> yeah. Who Why? the fuck is Armand Rosa? Exactly. You say this, Joe. <laughs> Why do I have five copies of the same book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's really awesome too. Though I, I love that um, on a lot of levels too, because you've you've got you know new authors coming in, which is great. You know, you mentioned several people having their first signings there, and that sounds like a really laid back less terrifying environment to do that in. So that's awesome. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Like JC Walsh, he did his, he had his first book came out this year, death highway. And 
he's uh, uh, down in Philly, so he came to Mount Holly, which is about an hour away. But he had, like, his, his parents, his brother, everybody surprised him, came from Rhode Island and drove down for this book signing. And, I mean, he, he we had it packed, and he sold a ton of books that night. And I, I'm like, that... I wish that was my first book signing. You know what I mean? I wish that was the experience <laughs> because that's pretty cool. You're there with other authors and you had Todd Kiesling's hanging out with him and his wife and other authors are, are, you know, coming and going. Um, Kenneth Kane came down and hung out for a little while. Uh, so it was really, really neat. It was kind of his introduction into everybody at the same time. And, and for us, it's cool because, I, I work with him. I mentor him. I, I love the guy. So um, it's really neat to to know, hey, this is a guy that he actually showed up at Spellbound the year before as just as a fan and started hanging out and talking with us. And it was like really cool. And as he's like, oh, I'm a writer and everything. I said, dude, but next year you're going to be on this tour. And he was like, no way. And a year later, he was literally back at that place with us. You know, so that was really neat. That is. That's super awesome. And, and a very welcoming attitude towards authors. So that's great. That that sounds pretty fantastic. For me, it's it's car it's all about karma. You know, it's all about helping other authors and and doing all that. I was very fortunate when I started uh, really getting serious about writing about uh, I don't know, 12 years ago or so. And I had Jay Conrath and Scott Nicholson and a couple other guys that answered every stupid question that I had. And they really took their time. And these guys were, were really killing it at that point. And here's me, a nobody who's just asking tons and tons of questions about publishing and everything. And that was kind of the thing with, with, with both of them, especially it was pay it forward, you know, help other authors that are coming up that, and, and that's what I've done. And, and most of that has been here. Here's the stupid mistakes I've made don't don't make these mistakes i mean that's kind of the basis for it it's kind of the same way you teach your children too or i did anyway hey i did all this stupid <laughs> shit don't fucking do that right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like you know when um, uh i have three kids now the youngest is uh 19 and in college but my my oldest is 24 and i always say to him you don't think I did dumb shit when I was in my 20s? I did worse than you. Like, you know, calm down. You, you're not reinventing the wheel on stupidity. You know, relax. <laughs> we were way ahead of you, man. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's my stepson is 24. I just tell him to please get better at it because yeah. I'm really tired of catching him. I'm like, I don't care what you do. Could you just not do it like, you know, 10 feet from my head? I yeah. know what I know what pot smells like. Please stop it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know what pot smells like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my stance is in my house, if I'm not allowed to smoke it, well, nobody is. Yeah, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) That's only fair. Well, so you you were hitting up a book signing today. I I was listening to your your last episode um, where you you hit up the Amelia Island Book Fair. I mean, this is this is a really intense schedule. How often... You know, I guess, is this is this a large part of how you get your sales through or I mean, I'm just curious because this is like your your schedule seems very intense. You know, last the last couple of years, we did a lot of uh, travel. So we did a bunch of uh, conventions in Georgia 
And, um, you know, we do, I do scares that care every year in Williamsburg, Virginia. And we've, we, we've just done, I mean, I, I went up to Haverhill, Massachusetts to the big Murray Mac one last year. And I did a book signing on the way back in New Jersey and we did all this. And then when we sat down and again, this is where, why I love my wife because she leads me to the answer. And it was like, she's, she's kind of going over our, our finances and the numbers. And then I'm like, all of a sudden it hits me. I'm like, oh, wait, we spent a shitload of money on travel last year that we did not recoup, you know, that that uh, and it's all hotel rooms. So I, I said this year we're going to do scares because I do that every year, but I'm not going to do any more conventions or travel that I have. We have to stay in hotels. So I want to do like a one day events. So we did um, Amelia Island. We did that a couple weeks ago. We did uh uh, Sunshine State uh, Book Festival, which is a uh, Saturday was their first one, which is a good one. Today I did uh, Jack's Book Fest, which was a uh, very very busy. Brad Meltzer was the big guest there, wandering around, and um, which is cool with him because I I was in the bathroom at the urinal and he came in and stood next to me. And then after we I waited, I was I was nice. I waited until we were both washing our hands, and then I gave him the <laughs> nod and I said, Hey. You know, are you having a good time or whatever? And he was like, yeah, this is great. And I was like, oh, okay, good. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to shake his hand because, like, you know, even though I just washed my hand. But, so that was like, I went back to the table and I said, hey, I just ran into Brad Meltzer in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> but I'm I'm doing, we're doing more of these events. Like I have, there's a, an antique mall that every month does like an outside uh, you know, in the parking lot, a pretty big event. And we set up the tent and I invite other authors and uh, it's like 20 bucks, you know, to, for the spot. So I'll I'll split it with other authors. And I'm like, you yeah, just give me five bucks and then set up a set up a table under the tent and we'll just sell a bunch of books. And even if we don't sell anything, it's cool because I get to talk shop with other authors. And uh, and so I'm really looking at more of those events. I mean, I'm. I'm um, more involved in the uh, Florida Writers Association, so they do a ton of Florida and even South uh, Georgia events. So I'm always looking. I'm always looking for new ones. We're just probably not going to do all the travel uh, as much as we do because it gets it gets to be too much. And we're we go to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, the minor league baseball. We, we we're season ticket holders. I I wrote a nonfiction book about the team, so. Uh, that's you know seventy home games over the summer, so a lot of games where where my nights are spent you know watching baseball. The Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Yes, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I knew the Santa Cruz Banana Slugs, but that might be I don't know the Jumbo Shrimp might be my new favorite. <laughs> the what the yeah. Santa Cruz Banana Slugs? Did you say? Yes, the yeah. Santa Cruz Banana Slugs. Some of the minor league teams that are just awesome, just yeah. the just the names of of these teams. Like there's the the new team in the league. There's the they're called the Trash Pandas. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was gonna say the same exact thing. Um, like it seems like the minor league baseball teams, like on the whole, have like way cooler names than yeah. the major league teams. Except for uh, like where I grew up. Um, I, we were pretty close to uh, Redding, so it was just the Redding Phillies. It wasn't yeah. any different than the Philadelphia Phillies, so that was uh, kind of a bummer. Yeah, well, when I grew up, that was it. it was basically, it was those types of, but now they're the, the fighting Phils. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they they've some of the teams have still changed it changed it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I I agree with you. They're much uh, cooler names. And uh, two, I know you had said that you've written like over a hundred novels and all different genres. And I was just curious, you know, is is your process like any? Not necessarily your process, but like, do you have to be like in a different kind of like headspace when you're working in like different genres? And do you have like favorites? You know, I think it depends on the story. I I listen to music a lot. I have to have noise. I have to have background noise. And uh, a lot of my books I wrote while I was actually sitting in a place called Kokomo's Cafe that's that's sadly no longer around. So it was that background noise of customers and everything. And I would write every day, like five days a week, Monday through Friday there. And I had to have that noise. So now it's like as soon as my wife goes off to work and there's no one in the house and it's quiet, it's immediately like, okay, you know, put on Spotify and uh, it, it'll depend on the, it'll depend on the mood. It'll depend on what I write. I, I kind of set the tone. So if I'm writing something like a lot of my zombie stuff was written with like black metal blasting behind me. And then yeah. I'll do um, a contemporary fiction series set in the 80s, uh, you know, the Belfort stories books. And so I'll I'll play a ton of old Jersey bands and not necessarily like Bon Jovi and Springsteen stuff, but like all the really obscure bands I grew up with that, you know, going to see them in uh, clubs and stuff. So it really, I kind of shape that, but then I also write, I might write three or four different things every day. So I have like 12 open projects on my board right now. So in the morning I might go, okay, I'm going to write, like I'm in the middle of writing a nonfiction book about Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, in October, I went to Dunkin' Donuts every day, for 31 days and I ordered a different thing and I interviewed customers and I made observations and just a really fun book. So for that, I just listen to like anything. Like I, I just put like Spotify on just like random. So I'm like Judas Priest is on and then bare naked ladies comes on after. I mean, it's just all over the place. Um, it, so it really just, it really just depends, but it really helps me get into that mindset of, what I'm writing and like horror is always going to be my first love. I mean, that's what I started with. That's what I grew up reading. Um, and I love doing the crime thriller stuff now. Like those, those are my, like my two loves. And I don't think despite doing all these other things, I don't think I'm ever going to stop writing in those two genres. Yeah. And that, that's pretty cool about the uh, music thing. Cause that's something that I usually like to ask a lot of the writers we have on, you know, like if they like to listen to music or something, you know have it be quiet um so yeah that's that's pretty cool and kind of how you use it almost to like set the mood because i know like uh it's not too common but every once in a while like you'll see uh authors share like spotify playlists you know and it's kind of cool to see like maybe how those songs kind of like tied into whatever they were working on yeah i know jim jim goforth uh, uh, has done that on a couple of his blogs in the past where yeah. he'll have this whole list of like 30 or 40 songs that he's that he's listened to and jc walsh is the same way he listens to a lot of uh he's like in his 30s or late 30s so he's he's like really young and so he listens to like all this new metal shit and stuff and uh, i'm really old school like anything after like 1990 i don't listen to you know i'm like 80s metal 
uh, stuff. So, but he'll he'll always try to introduce me to stuff. He'll be like, listen to these guys. They sound like Exodus, and I'm like, I'll just listen to Exodus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Really, who the fuck wants to listen to a band that sounds like Exodus when you can just listen to Exodus? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of like saying if you like Stephen King, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Stephen King, go read Stephen King. <laughs> Otherwise, read this guy. He's pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, so you had mentioned that uh, horror was your your first love, and I was just curious. You know, what were some of your earliest memories? You know, about like getting involved with horror. Like it shows my age, but like for me, it was like the first time I picked up like a Goosebumps book. And I was just curious, you know, what kind of authors or shows or movies kind of got you into the horror genre? Um, at 12 years old, I, me and my brother were, were about a year and a half apart and we were off. We beat the shit out of each other all the time. <laughs> and my mother was a stay at home mom. And so she would punish us. Like we were literally punished from, I think between fifth grade and sixth grade, we were punished for that entire summer. And when you, when you mess with a Jersey mom, like you're, you're punished for the entire summer. Oh, and my brother got to stay in our, in our room cause we shared a room and I was stuck in my parents' room. So for the whole summer, like I got to watch out the window, all my friends outside playing. And the literally the only thing in that room was this huge one wall was a bookshelf, a bookcase. And my mother still to this day is a huge horror fan uh, reader. And so I just started reading. I just started. And Dean Koontz was really the first thing that I really fell in love with. I started reading Phantoms, I think, was one of the first things I read. And I just loved it. And I had I'd always read, but not not really that much and it, so it was like an entire summer of reading Dean Koontz books and anything with a giant spider on the paperback you know and uh crazy stuff and my my mom once she realized that I was really big into reading and stuff she started basically leaving books for me like every day she'd like here read this next read this next uh and she would cross out all the sex parts <laughs> which, is, which is funny so like I I, can, I I told Grady Hendrix this story I can still remember uh, I don't know what it was. I think it was like giant spiders or something. And this couple goes into a movie theater and basically he turns to her and he, you know, goes to touch her. And then five pages is crossed out in black ink. And then they're out of the, they're being chased by spiders, you know? And I'm like, oh, I, I, so looking back, I'm like, well, I guess he got laid in the movie theater, but that was to beat that. that's classic Jersey right there. <laughs> So well, I want him to read, but I don't want him to read this filth. Right, yes. Yeah. And you know what's funny? It's like you can, you can read all the profanity you want in it because we curse like sailors in this house anyway. Um, and you can read all the violence anyway because who cares? But you are not reading – at 12 years old, you are not allowed to read about sex yet. which it's kind of funny because sometimes that that's another thing that'll come up uh, in our conversations is you know like where did your parents kind of censor what you read some will say no some will say kind of you're kind of like right in the middle in that she let you read that kind of stuff but then she did her own like self-editing in it yeah she was very (laughs) She was great. We, we were allowed to listen to any music or anything else we wanted, but she, my mother wanted to know what we were listening to. So, like, I was in, like, Slayer and Metallica and Anthrax and Megadeth and all those, and not that she ever liked any of that stuff, but she was aware of, lyrically, what we were, we were, we were listening to, and she never, ever censored 
what we were. She never said, no, don't listen to this. All she would say is turn that shit down, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my, my mother is um, my parents were young when I was born. So my, my dad was 20. My, my mom was 18. And so I grew up in the 70s listening to Queen and, and my mother listened to Black Sabbath. And she listened to, you know, all, all you know, all the, the big 70s bands. And she listened to Zeppelin and she listens to Pink Floyd and all these other bands. So. It was funny for me growing up is my rebellion was I don't like any of that 70s stuff. I'm going to listen to, you know, Slayer and Metallica and, and all the glam metal stuff and Motley Crue and like pretty much all of that stuff. And it was funny because anytime any of those bands covered any of those those songs, I'd hear my mother singing downstairs, <laughs> you know, like Rough Cut did a, a, a version of uh, Peace of My Heart, you know, Janis Joplin. And my mother's downstairs singing, and I'm like, well, i got to turn this off now because I can't have my mom listening to my music. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she's going to enjoy it. No. That's, yeah. that's totally, not, totally that's counterproductive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah I kind of had that, uh, that same experience growing up. My parents were about the same age when I was born. My mom just turned 18, and my dad was 19, so... You know, again, I'm pretty young, so they were they were into like you know the '80s music and stuff too. And then like pretty much how I heard about like Nirvana and stuff was through my dad. Yeah, it's a so, good musical education right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, he he uh the first concert I ever went to was uh, Rage Against the Machine. I was in fifth grade. And because uh, he liked them, and I hope my mom doesn't listen to our show. I don't think she does. But he was like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Rich to go see a concert." And she's like, "Oh, which, which one? Oh, it's just my boss's uh, son's band." <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, so um, I know you said you had, you know, over a hundred books, and. Uh, and you, you said that you first started getting serious about writing about 12 years ago, but that you've been writing for 30 years. So what, how, how did that work beforehand, and, and what made you decide to get more serious about it? Um, well, I graduated – I'm old. I'm 50. I graduated in 88. Yeah, you're that, not old. <laughs> I, dude, I feel, I feel really old. Um, and so I had my first short story actually published when I was, in, when I was a senior in high school. And, you know, of course, then I'm like, oh, I'll write, I'll write all these songs and I'll be a billionaire and this is so easy. And then uh, life got in the way. And for a long period, like in the 90s, um, I worked. I went through some really shitty relationships. I still wrote, but I was never serious about it. I started in mid-90s. I, I did a zine called Black Moon Magazine. I was managing bands, uh, uh, awful death metal bands from Jersey. So I, I got sidetracked with being creative and doing other things. And I really, I always wrote, but I really didn't get serious until I guess it was about eight years ago. Um, I got, I got uh, laid off from my job. I was working retail management, 80 hours a week, hated every second of it. And we basically came to a mutual understanding of, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. So, I was with somebody at the time who was a, she was an asshole and she was like, no, you have to get a job. You have to get a, you know, I basically, you know, suck what little life you have left. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to write, I'm going to, I'm going to write my dying days book. I'm going to write my zombie book because I've been wanting to write this for forever. And I'm going to write this while I'm looking for a job. And then I, I half-assed it looking for a job. 
And what was great is I released that in like 2008, uh, 2009, something like that. And I mean, that was the wild, wild west of Amazon. That was there was like 30 zombie books on Amazon at the time, you know, and I was killing it. I was making money and I was doing well. And because I had written a bunch of short stories and I had a lot of stuff that I had written over the years that I I, I kind of worked and I just started having anthologies and I had a ton of releases all at once. Um, a company saw that a company was reading my stuff and they said, Hey, we're in, a publisher is involved with a, like this basically B Hollywood movie company that are putting out these books. Would you want to write for them? And of course I said, yeah, sure. No problem. And I wrote, um, I ended up writing 14 different books for them. And some of them were like based on screenplays. Some of them were based on, they would send me the dailies, what they were filming. And I mean, they were I, high literature, like uh, uh, zombies versus Navy SEALs. So, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> which is amazing. There was no Academy Award uh, uh, wins off of that one. But I wrote those, I wrote those really cheesy zombie books for them for, for many years, but they paid me really well. And, the first one I did was, um, which I actually really like, was Miami Spy Games. And it was, I had wrote it because they basically came to me and said, we want you to write this. It was right after the dude had bitten the other guy's face in Miami with the, the bath salt uh, attack. Yeah. And he's like, well, this is it, but it's going to be a zombie outbreak. And, and I had like all these, the like conference call with all these people telling me all the scenes. And I just basically wrote it and they paid me a lot of money. And I was able to like wipe out all my my credit cards, everything. And I like I I lived off that money for like over a year. And every time you know they would come back and they would go write another one, it would be like it was they were awful, you know. Like um, Miami Spy Games was great it, it, because they let me create the characters and do what I wanted. And at one point, it was supposed to be I actually went to San Diego because they were they were doing. Um, interviews and they were doing casting for because they were going to do a tv show with it and of course it never went anywhere uh but i was able to write all these really cool really goofy things with them and uh and they paid me really well so that was kind of for me that was the no looking back like i do this i can make a living doing this and i ghost wrote a couple things um i wrote this military romance for them and uh, I think I was, I, I don't think we were married yet. I think, but my wife, she, she saw I was miserable. I'm like, I do not like this, but it was a lot of money. So I wrote it and it actually was like the number one romance book for like two months in a row. But of course it has, doesn't have my name on it or anything. And it was awful, but I was, but I was like, well, this is, you know, I'm, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I should stop writing all this horror crap. Dude, money in the <laughs> bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that that allowed me to to go full time and stay full time. So it's been uh, this will be my eighth year of making a living as a writer. Yeah, that's that's no small feat. That's really yeah. that's really excellent. And I mean, then too, it's I mean, you know, you said it was the Wild West, so I guess there was some luck involved in there. But you would never have been picked up if you hadn't already put yourself out there. So that's you know, right. that's really awesome. And the great fortune you had of writing a zombie book right at that point in history. Yeah. Um, cause those things were so insanely popular back then. You said about 2009? Yeah, about that. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Yeah. 
what's funny is I did uh, I ended up doing my Dying Day series ended up being nine books and I think like six spin-off books and the last book came out like I don't know like three years ago and I did still one of my best so it's, it's my besides my Dirty Deeds crime thriller series it's still my best selling series like I still sell a ton of them every day which is which is for to me is crazy because um but you know, doing all of those B movie zombie ones, that also really helped because when people went on Amazon after they read that and they went looking for me, they found oh this guy has a series of zombie books, and oh these aren't these don't have a ton of cliche, goofy scenes. They had ev- almost every one I wrote had a scene in it where they uh, get to the roof, the the people get to the roof. And the helicopter comes down to rescue them, but the zombies jump on the helicopter, and then the helicopter crashes in the parking lot or in the woods or whatever. But every one of those uh, had that scene. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's almost like I could I could probably have copied and pasted and changed some of the names, and it would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a uh, formula that works, though. Clearly, and you know what? And they and they they paid me well, and then they sold a lot of books. They sold a a a ton of those books. I would always try in all those books. I would always try to put in the line, uh, "Come with me if you want to live." <laughs> and, and they caught it in about half of them. About half the books are like, "You can't use that line." I'm like, "Oh no, pr- I didn't realize." You know, no but then the other ones, it's out there. And I just like it felt like a victory. Like you, not only are you paying me, but I got to slip in this stupid line in every book. I'm sitting here. I'm still sitting here imagining the whole helicopter crash thing. Yeah, it's like by the by the time you wrote the last book, your fans would have been pissed if a helicopter didn't crash in that motherfucker. <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I wrote if I'd written it in my series, every, all nine books had you know would have had that. But it was always funny because. I would do a conference call and there would be like five or six of them and they would go through and they would all go, okay, this is, so this is, these are the characters. All right, I'd write it down. And this is what we're doing, blah, blah. And once they said, okay, so then they start going up the stairs and I was like, oh, here we go. And at one point I even said, so wait, they're going to go to the roof and the zombie thing. We're going to do that. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I, I would tell me the scene. Oh, well, they go to the roof and the zombie thing happened. Like, exactly. That's ex- <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. And my wife at, um, because I was writing like 40,000 words in like two weeks, like they wanted these done. So I was knocking them out. And at one point, my wife's like, what's the matter? And I said, I can't type fast. I type with two fingers. And she types. So she's like, well, what if I typed and you kind of paced around and told me what's going on? So we did that, although she she was staring at me while she's typing. And I'm like, that's freaky. Look at the screen or something. I don't <laughs> like that's just weird to me. But we, we, she starts typing, and then I'm like, okay, and then we get to that scene. She's like, no, 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 this was from the last one. I'm like, just turn your brain off and just just type. It's just, it's literally we're doing the same thing. So I think she helped me with a couple of those, and it was always at that scene she would help me. And she was like, no, no, we did this already. I'm like, no, no, we did this for 14 books. Don't worry about it. It works. <laughs> you know what? They like it. Let's just put the scene yeah, that's that's kind of a cool story, um, because it kind of reminds me almost of a like similar path, um, like reading paperbacks from hell. Or there's also this uh, book out there. It's like a collection of fanzines called the Collected Pulpar. Yeah, and I like, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. There was an interview. Maybe it was like Guy Smith or. 
there's some article in that because I have the uh, first volume where that was like what some of those authors in like Horace Heyday would do is kind of have like the same experience, like those kind of like commissioned works almost. So I find that kind of cool. Yeah, it was a it was a lot of fun. Um, and again, it, it made me a lot of money and it allowed me to, you know, continue to do this and continue to to because uh, I'm pro- prolific. So it, it allowed me to. Hey, these two weeks, I'm going to knock off 40,000 words for you. But then I always looked at it in my head and I go, all right, this was garbage. Like, not that it was garbage, but a lot of cliches and stuff not to put in mind. And it made me a better writer because I was writing my own stuff and not using any of those tropes if I could help it. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. Now, to that company, like when you would write these books and would they like were they kind of like novelizations like is there a zombies versus navy seals movie out there there is it, i believe it was on i think it was like a direct to netflix or uh amazon or something like that so that one i wrote they were actually filming it at the same time so i was actually they were sending me the dailies every day um as you know we went through kind of the plot but then they were also sending me so i could see the characters moving i could see the zombies i could see the awful scene on the roof with the helicopter (laughs) i've actually i've never seen the entire movie it's it's out there it's available uh and there's like three or four other ones that they actually shot they actually made movies for um and i think at some point a couple of them they changed the names from what we originally had i mean there's like if you go on amazon and you look up my name you could, there's a book called foot i think it's called football zombies <laughs> and it's a, it's i think it's like zombies do, uh, zombies during the super bowl you know so that's kind of cool it sounds like it would be like it would be kind of fun it was a lot of fun because it's almost like turn your brain off and write because it's there be movies so it's like write just a fun action adventure and big personality characters and really over the top dialogue, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I used to watch a ton of those uh, kinds of movies, especially like, like those sci-fi originals and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Those always used to be, uh, those always used to be my favorites. Well, it seems like that. that, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say it seems like that, uh, you know, that method um, would also be helpful. And I I don't know how you originally were in your writing, whether you were kind of always okay with just putting everything out on the page or whether you, you know, were a bleeder or anything. But that's the kind of thing that gets you just, okay, put it on the page. And I mean, that's a huge asset to be able to do that. You know, what it really did is it, it, it taught me that you know, everything I write, that's not my baby. You know, it's not this great thing. It's, um, it's just something I'm I'm writing and I, I consider myself like a pulp fiction writer. I just want to write a fun story. Um, I'm, I'm very blessed because I write a very clean first draft. Usually the idea is usually formed. I'm a total pantser, but, um, there might be, you know, some problems. There's always typos and stuff, but pretty much the story I write is that's the story. There's no huge, changes or anything and and writing those stories really also it helped me to realize that 
like, don't take yourself too serious. I mean, I'm writing 400,000 words a year. I'm writing a lot of short stories and novellas and novels and, and just get it out there uh, and stuff. I, I ran into a fan at, at a signing years ago and he started telling, he started saying like this, apart a, a from a book that he had memorized. And I was like, that sounds really good. And he's like, well, that's from you. That was from Dying Days 2 when this happened. And I'm like, oh, all right. And I'm like, and he, he was like, kind of like, oh, you don't know that? I'm like, that was like uh, half a million words ago. <laughs> I'm like, I probably forgot that the next day. You know, I mean, I, I appreciate you memorize this, but I, I, I would I couldn't tell you what I wrote yesterday. I'm, I'm already on to something else, you know. Yeah, I struggle to remember this morning. So, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean. That's always be, nice, though, when you hear it and you're like, oh, that is good. Oh, well, that good. was a good part. I'm, good. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I didn't think, holy crap, is that shit? What did you don't don't read that guy anymore? I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. All right. Yeah, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, there's our awkward silence for the day. It's not <laughs> it's not an episode without one. So, <laughs> nope. <laughs> We have to have the awkward silence. We just haven't decided if we want to put a commercial in there or not. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a nice, that's a nice spot for it. Yeah. <laughs> then it all sounds brilliant. Like we paused for the commercial. Exactly. It was. <laughs> yeah. it, that's what we meant to do. <laughs> a word from our sponsors. Yeah. Year, years ago, I did a podcast with uh, with Mark Tufa. We did a podcast together, and at one point, he. Uh, like right in the middle of the podcast, he was like, hey, "I gotta go to the bathroom" or whatever it was, and he like he 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 ran off. But I was still taping, and then I did the uh, I put the Monty Python intermission music, like right at that spot, and he had no idea. And then people <laughs> like started commenting next week, like, "Oh my god, that was so funny!" You were like, "You had to go to the bathroom," because of course I leave that part in. And then you had the intermission, <laughs> so he like actually had to go and listen, and he was like, "What the hell did you do that for?" us? because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be warned, you guys! I'm just I'm the sound man. So. <laughs> You've given him ideas. <laughs> yeah. Fuck! I never thought about using my own sound effects. There you go. <laughs> and you're welcome. And I'm sorry for the other. <laughs> yeah, especially sometimes I'm up late at night and drunk off my ass looking for something to do. So. <laughs> Which is which is always the best way to edit a podcast. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so how um you you said you got started in in horror and then you've also picked up some some noir some crime stuff. Um, what what gave you that idea to transition or had had you already been working on that kind of stuff? You know, I always I always read everything. I'm I'm, I'm a fast reader. Which great. I'm like I got that from my mom. Like she reads, she'll still to this day will read three or four books a week. And I always did. And I just sucked up everything. Like, oh, you know, I, I was introduced to Robert E. Howard, so I read every Conan story there was, you know. Um and so I read a lot of different things. And then when I started writing, when I got serious, I realized if I'm writing zombie stuff, I can't read zombie stuff. I have to read something else. So I started getting into, uh, and my mom would introduce me to like, you know, some crime thrillers and different things, like you know, uh, James Patterson, the Alex Cross series. She's like, you, I think you would like this. I think you would like the characters. So I, I would read that, and I would read, you know, just whatever. And uh, like to this day, I'd read a ton of nonfiction. 
most of the stuff I read actually is nonfiction. And it doesn't matter who it is. Like I just read the Andrew Ridgely biography, the dude from Wham with George Michael, you know, and I'm like, obviously I, I, I never listen to Wham, but it's interesting. And I, as a writer, I'm always getting ideas and different things. I get more ideas from those than aping another author who did something in my genre. So for me, um, I always loved the crime thrillers and I always loved other stuff, but I never, I, I don't think I, I had my voice yet. And I was worried that it would sound, it would sound fake. It would sound like I was trying to push into another genre. Um, and really the, you know, I'd written other stuff and I'd done nonfiction stuff, but I, I think I really, with dirty deeds, I really found my voice. And I realized when I put that out, cause it, it won a, the first book won a Kindle scout award, so I, I got a, a Kindle Press contract out of it. And I was worried that my loyal readers would be like, what's this? You know, this isn't horror. This isn't zombies. This isn't haunted houses. This isn't any of that. And overwhelmingly, they loved it. They were because it was still my voice, because it was a, my still my humor. It was still um, the way I wrote. So that really gave me like that confidence that, you know what, I could write contemporary fiction. I can write other stuff, stuff that I read, stuff that I actually like. I don't, I still don't think I could sit down and just write a romance, but a lot of the other genres I can still sit down and I could still write because I'm a fan of it because I read it. That's awesome. And I do think that's a, that's a big, you know, part of it is, is if you're a fan of it, you know, you're going to have the love of it and that's going to show, um, and that's really great that you're, you know, that your that your fan base followed you into that. That was a conversation we had with uh, Chad Letsky last week, actually, because he he just put out his first um, crime noir uh, novel this week, The Neon Which, Out, I, which so. I love, which I read. And oh I yeah, love that's be- awesome. And I love because you know why? It was still in Chad's voice. Exactly. It, it yeah. Was, it was, and that's and that's really what I love because when he sent it, he sent it to me, and he's like, "Hey, I always read it. I always read his stuff after he's." put it like right before he gives me the advance because uh, he knows I love it. And he knows I'm going to review it. And so when he's like, Oh, I'm doing this, you know, you know, crime thrill. I'm like, uh Oh, um, because I love his horror stuff. I love his coming of age stuff. But again, it was in his voice. It was really, it was still a Chad Lutsky story. If, if you had just handed that to me and said, here, read this, I would have went, Oh, that's weird. I, I would have, it sounds like Chad Lutsky. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one of the cool things about it. And it's kind of cool when, you know, authors, you know, do take chances like that, because I know it is probably uh, like once you've kind of established yourself in, you know, one genre, it, it can be kind of like scary, you know, putting yourself out there in other ones because yeah. you're not sure how, you know, your readers are going to react to it. Like you said, yeah. And that was one of the things that me and Dan Padovana talked about because he's done uh, a bunch of serial killer crime thrillers. He, he has a series, uh, Scarlet Bell series. He has like 10 releases on it. Um, and he's, he writes some really extreme horror stuff and that's what he's known for. That's what he's been known for. And so that was a, that was one of those things where um, I, I had him on, on Armcast not too long ago. And that's what we talked about that transition and it was scary i mean it's it's it, it was one of those things where he's like i don't know if anybody's gonna read this am i wasting my time trying to write crime thrillers and then nobody's gonna respond and read it and i and, and it's been um 
he's been really he was really happy with that. And again, it's because his readers, a lot of those readers have come over because, again, you know, it's a it's a damp head of honest story. And it's kind of yeah. like, yeah, that's uh, like uh, I always I'm sure I massacre his name, but um, Tom Piccarelli was that way. Um, he could swim in whatever pool he wanted to, and his fans followed him wherever he went yeah. because it was still him. Yeah. Well, Joe Lansdale is a great example. I mean, oh, hell yeah. He writes in a, well, he, I mean, he literally writes in what we now call the Joe Lansdale genre because he's he, he writes in so many different ones and stuff, but they're all in his voice. They all have his style and everything. So it doesn't really matter with him. Um, what you pick up, you know you're going to like it. doesn't matter what what they tell you. Amazon tells you this is a crime thriller or this is what – it doesn't matter. No, not at all with him. Everything's going to be golden. Um, I, I uh, just got one, just got approved for one called Jane Goes North that he's got coming out. That, yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I'm really, really, it's really hard not to just drop everything else I'm reading and say, fuck you guys and read this first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of those authors too. You feel like if you don't read it, like the day comes out, you don't start, you're like behind already. Because right. Everybody else is reading it like that week. And then everybody Saturday yeah. night's going to be talking about it on Facebook. And you're like, no, 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 I haven't started it yet. You know, don't, don't say anything. Yeah. All of a sudden everybody's spoiling the fuck out of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's how i am with a lot of stuff like uh like because i always got so much so many things i want to read like i'm so far but i always feel so far behind and like especially like with uh king's the uh outsider series on hbo like everyone's talking about how great <laughs> it is it is and i ha i haven't i haven't read the outsider yet because i still have to read like the entire bill hodges trilogy and i know that that all kind of you know there's some overlap there yeah. what's funny is because i grew up uh, uh, and i guess it's, it's that rebel against my mom because my mom is a huge stephen king fan i mean to this day huge huge i never read a lot of stephen king um, at all. And so every year my mother for Christmas would give me a, like the shining or she'd give me like Terry or something and I had the paperback and I would never read it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to read short stories. So not too long ago, I actually read skeleton crew and I'm like, yeah, I like this. I like the short versions of his stories because the stuff I've, I've read is really long winded. Not that it's not good. It's just, I don't want to read a doorstop every time. So for me, like everybody's like, oh, the outsider is great, but I'm like, well, I'm reading, I'm watching the show, so the show is really, really good. I'm, I'm happy with that, you know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to picking those up because I'm one of those people too. Like, I can't watch the adaptation, and like, if I know it's based on a book, I've got to read the book first. <laughs> I'm the I same always, way. I always listen to other people first. I always listen to to people that have read the book, and then they when they start, re, you know, watching it because a lot of times they're like, "Don't read the book." Like the <laughs> yeah. book is, and, and I mean the book is always better, but don't read the book because they they butcher this story so badly, you know. And if you yeah. you know if you do it the other way around, it's almost like you get more material, you know. If you if you watch the movie first and you like it, and then you go back and read the book, and there's more to it. That's kind of almost more beneficial. Yeah, well, then you get you get into the characters' heads, you get into the mo the motivations and the the different things. I'm I'm really uh, big on 
what were the differences? Like if I've watched something and then I, and I've read the book or, or, or whichever first, I, I always are like, all right, well, this character is not was not in the book. Like like Game of Thrones. You know, I read those when they all first came out and then I'm like, well, this is wrong. <laughs> well, this is, you know, uh, and then yeah. just sitting there like my wife never read them. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is the Red Wedding part. Like I knew it was coming. And I'm like, oh, please do justice to this, you know, this part kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite part of that whole series book or show. I remember my wife turning to me after that, and she's like, did you know that was going to happen? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I've been waiting for it. Yeah, I've been, yeah, yeah. I have been waiting for this. I always have to tell my husband, pretend you're watching this with someone who has not read the book. Just experience it. Well, And so, I mean, it sounds like some of the things that you, you know, wrote at the behest of this company, obviously, either were already movies or had been made into movies, um, is, I don't, I mean, has any of your, has, have any of your items been optioned or, you know, if not, what would be your dream to see on the screen? Yeah, I've had a few things optioned. I, I have, uh, the, the first dying days was optioned. Um, I had a short story in one of my collections called, uh, stairs to the ocean, which is kind of cosmic horror. That's been optioned. Um, death metal, which is technically now out of print that has been optioned. So I've, I've had a few different things. Uh, keep Cthulhu. We have a screenplay for, so a bunch of my stuff has been optioned, but it's, it's like, you know, every other writer, when, when you talk and you talk about that after you've been doing this for a while, it's just like, yeah, I got an option on, I got like 12 options, you know, in the air and, and I get a couple of bucks every year to, to, you know, renew uh, kind of thing, but it's, uh, very rarely does it actually ever make it to some to somewhere. My my ultimate would be the Dirty Deeds series, that would be made into either a movie or made into like a a TV series, just because it's a lot of fun. And um, so so some people reading it, it's funny. Some people reading it will say, well, it's just you, it's just your personality. But a couple people have said uh, Bruce Campbell would be perfect in that um, in that. Uh, you know, part. And when I wrote the character, I wrote it for Kevin James. Like, you know, you always have the characters in your head. I'm like, Kevin James would be perfect. You know, mid <laughs> mid forties, kind of bulky, funny, goofy guy that you don't think would be like this. You know, basically this hitman. And I, I, and so I always had him in my head. So if if you guys are listening, if if uh, Kevin James or <laughs> or Bruce Campbell are listening, either either one. I mean, fight it out between the two. Is either one of you can do it. Yeah, and, and make somebody fucking option it and actually make a film out of it. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be really nice. I have been negligent in your work, and I need to unfuck that here soon, especially the crime stuff. I'm not gonna lie, you you do, you do. <laughs> I agree. See now, if you if if as we're recording, probably not by the time this, is, but as we're recording, the uh, first dirty deeds is ninety nine cents, and the second one is actually free. So there's no reason for less than a buck, you can get the first two books in the series. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have like the first three or four of them. I'm just I suffer from that, you know, mountainous fucking TBR. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's every new book that every new book. I'm like, ooh, free, boom, oh, add it to the Kindle. I have like five thousand books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> last year I read. Last year I read eight. I read eighty two books. So I'm like, okay, cool. So if I just don't add another book with the with the paperback piles I have now and with the Kindle book. As long as I live to be like 182, I could read everything in front of me. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. something I've come to accept too. Is that I uh, I'm 55 years old, so I I live with the knowledge daily that I will never read all the fucking books I own, and yet I keep acquiring more. Yeah. yeah. I never understood what like a lot of people say. Oh, I've read this book every year. I read this read the same book, and I'm like. Why? There's millions of books that I will never get to, you know? So, yeah. like, I, I would rather read something completely different or completely new. Yeah, yeah. Because there no, I mean, obviously, nobody can read everything and nobody wants to. Um, so, I, I tend to be the same way when I'm, when it comes to reading, if there's something new and exciting, I'm going to read that before I read, you know, the Bram Stoker's Dracula or whatever classic I haven't read. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am I am really bad with, um, you know, you'll talk to certain guys. Like I talked to Brian Keenan, he'll talk about these obscure horror books and like this defines you know the 20s and the 30s and all this. So then I'm like, I I don't even know what you're talking about. Like uh, I know yeah. the I know he the knows basic, shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I know the basic stuff here. Like I can I can bullshit my way through a conversation with you, but you're bringing up stuff that like, you know, nobody's heard of. And you've, you've literally sat down and, and read these books, which is funny. Like, I don't want to read every classic because a lot of it to me was crap. And let's be honest. You know, a lot of his archaic dialogue and everything else or whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to read any of those. I'm reading, um, I'm going through David Morrell did like the hundred greatest crime thrillers or the hundred greatest thrillers, you know, um, and I'm, I'm reading that and it's funny because all the, all I'm skinning, skimming through like the ones from the 1800s and the 19, I'm like, Oh, okay. 1970s. Okay. These are, Oh, Rambo. Okay. I'll read this. You know, like, like I can read the synopsis of these books that I, that I know that I've maybe some of them I've, I've read already, but some of them are like these really obscure, you know, and they were like this social conscience and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's boring to me. Like I, I want to read fun again. I, I'm a pulp reader and i'm a pulp writer yeah but if you're gonna read pulp, pulp um the book you, you mentioned there rambo that's a good good example of really fucking great yeah. writing right there um anybody who wants to ever know how good that movie could have been should read that book <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I i i agree i agree with that <laughs> and it's yeah i mean you're right that a lot of those are, I, I don't know, I guess they're dated or a lot of it for me is a pacing issue. Like, uh, I, I actually um, really like Charles Dickens, uh, read a couple of other of his ghost stories, and, and they're just so well done because he's such an excellent writer. Um, but I tried to read The Woman in White, uh, which I guess was supposed to be like one of the quintessential ghost stories. And I mean, holy shit, 50 pages in and nothing has happened. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, by that point, I just don't care. I want the ghost to show up and fucking kill him. I'm so bored. <laughs> so. I, yeah. I always look at I always look at those, especially like the, the, you know, when 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 those pulp magazines were out, those guys were getting paid by the word. So they're going to pad yeah. the shit out of those stories. And you and you, you can you, especially like I love Robert E. Howard. 
one of my favorites. But a lot of it, especially the stuff he put out in Weird Tales and those, there's a lot of padding. There's a lot of extra there that could really could have been trimmed. But I understand because he was getting paid by the word at that point. Yeah, it did tend to be expository. Um, and that that was my issue, too. Same thing. And I mean... Just to put it in a, yeah, like Laurel said, a blunt term, the older stuff tends to bore the fuck out of me because nobody gets <laughs> bloody in the first ten pages. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sitting here thinking about how cool it was if I had been paid for the word by some of these fucking doorstops I've written. Right? <laughs> wow! <laughs> I'm one, rich! One, one book and retire. <laughs> <laughs> So is is Dirty Deeds? You've got how many how many out is that? Is that three that you said in that series? Uh, actually, actually, the eighth book will be out. Oh, the eighth! In, uh, wow. Okay. At the end of March. Yeah. Okay. I, I awesome. try to do two. I try to do two a year. So the first one came out. Uh, I had the Kindle Press contract. Uh, the problem was they wanted like one book a year, and I'm like, no, this is like a fast paced uh, series. Like I want to put out like two, maybe three a year. I I want to. I want to put out a bunch of these so that people can, once you get to that fifth or sixth book, people, you know, will, will, will start reading the backlist of these more and more. And that's, that was always the goal for me. So, um, they still control the first one, but I control two to, you know, however long it's going to go. That's, and, that's awesome. Do you have any, I'm oh, sorry, Shane. Go no, ahead. you're fine. It's been a long time. It's kind of nostalgic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I totally lost my train of thought, so go ahead, Laurel. I <laughs> uh, was just going to ask if you had any, I mean, is there any end insight on it, or you think just as long as you feel good cranking them out, you're going to keep doing it? As as long as I have ideas, as long as I have stories. So what I do with those is um, James Gaffney is the main character. So the first four books are a James Gaffney crime thriller, but the fifth book was um his assistant marissa so the fifth book is a marissa page uh cozy mystery and then the tenth book will be a reggie keen noir crime thriller so every fifth book will be another because they're first person so every fifth book will be in another character's head um and i've kind of planned that out going forward so as long as i have ideas like with dying days with the zombie series by about the sixth book, I was like, you know what? I don't want to write 57 of these. There's there's authors that I'm I mean authors that I'm friends with, but they've they're on like book 15 and 18 and 20 whatever. I didn't want to do that, so I really at that point I said, you know what? Nine books and I'm done. And uh, that way it'll wrap up and it'll give some kind of ending that the fans will will be happy with. So I didn't want to I didn't want to wear out my welcome and, and it's it'll be the same thing with the dirty deed series once i run out of ideas or once i start recycling ideas then um you know it's it's really time to move on with something else the good part is i have about a billion ideas in my head i just can't get them all out and I, i'll never be able to to get them all out so so, so you're no not gonna run out crashes then in the dirty deed series <laughs> what'd you say Said no helicopter crashes in the dirty deep series. Not yet. I, I guess that'll be the my jump the shark moment, right? For no for no reason. Probably just have a helicopter. One of the books, and I'll be like, all right, it's time to it's time to stop. 
just stop all stop the forward narrative and have a helicopter crash and then go back to it. That's that's how it ends. The book will end with zombies jumping on a helicopter and it explodes in the field, and then there's no there's no more to write. And the readers go, "What the fuck?" Yeah, they'll be like, "Where did this Where did this come from?" I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy. <laughs> So uh, what's what's on the near horizon for you? I mean, Dirty Deeds book uh, nine, right? Okay, it will be out. Um, I just released the third and final book of the Chelsea Avenue uh, trilogy. That one just came out from Devil Dog Press. Um, the Hidden Truth that I co-wrote with Jay Wilburn that came out from Crossroad Press a couple of months ago. That's like a transgressive fiction uh, book. I have a bunch of anthologies. I uh, have stories in coming out, and um, I'll have that nonfiction Dunkin' Donuts book come out, and uh, I, I just a lot of a lot of stuff. I have four more four more horror novels coming out with uh, Severed Press. I put out The Beast, which is a Bigfoot New Jersey uh, novella. That was a lot of fun to write, and the um, so I, I think I have four more to put out with them over the next say year, year and a half. So I'm, I'm always busy. Like I said, I got 12 open projects right now. Let me commend you too. Um, on the beast because most Jersey creature features have the goddamn Jersey devil in them. And yes. it's about time somebody <laughs> took someone else. Yeah. It was, it was great pitching that one because I was like, uh, you know, I said, hey, listen, you know, I know you guys do Bigfoot books and I want to do Bigfoot, but I want to do Bigfoot New Jersey. And they were I mean, they were more or less like, all right, let's see how this works. No, write it. Let's see. You know, and it's actually selling selling really well. And uh, it was a lot of fun to write. And it's it's written in um, it's written in the 80s, like at 1987, I think, in, in Middletown, which is the real which is the town I grew up in. Uh, and it was funny because somebody had sent me a message and said, I don't know if you know this, but the park, Porcy Park and Middletown, those are real places. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I grew up there. So I, I <laughs> that's why I wrote. I didn't, I didn't I didn't make these things up there. I know they're real places. I, I get that. It's, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like they were amazed that I, for whatever reason, I, I created this fictional park in this fictional you know, uh, township in New Jersey, and they actually happen to be real places. <laughs> yeah, what, what are the fucking odds? Exactly. <laughs> well, so you said you have four more coming out with them. Are those also going to be creature features? Are they? Do you know what you've got going on with them yet? Yeah, they'll they'll all be uh, they'll all be creature features. That's what that's kind of what Severed Press they love to to do those kind of things. So I'll have like a. I think I have a Chupacabra one coming out, and um, I don't remember what the other ones are. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so so much. There's again, there's so much crap I got to write. It's 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 on the list. It's you know one of the other great things my wife did was was bought bought me a dry erase board, so I write I write all the books on there. Of course, I can't read my handwriting, so. Thanks. They have a Excel spreadsheet with all of them on there too. I was gonna say that's what the spreadsheet's for, right? That's yeah, why yeah. we. The, the struggle is real there. Yeah. You're starting to sound like, like a spirit animal. 
Yeah. <laughs> like my handwriting's so bad. Like I'll jot notes down to myself and I wrote it and I'll come back like a day later. I'll be like, what the fuck does that even say? Like, I, I can't read this. My mom, my mom always said I should have been a doctor with my, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the one thing, you know, someone said when, where someone can say you should have been a doctor and it's not a goddamn compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Armand, the beast, I know you said that's, um, like a Bigfoot in New Jersey and like Shane had mentioned, you know, the Jersey devil's like the big thing for Jersey. And I was just curious, do you have like a fondness and interest in cryptids? You know, I, I, I did. And I, you know, from very young, I would read those books. And what the weird part is, I guess, because coming from Jersey and you always heard about the Jersey devil, um, I, I was never like this huge fan of it, you know. I was I was always looking for you know, this Loch Ness monster and and Bigfoot and Sasquatch and Yetis and all these other creatures. Uh, Chupacabra has always been a cool one. So I, I always I'm always fascinated by those. I watch all those TV shows. I love those, even though they're some some of them are so cheesy and and uh, ridiculous. I, I just I enjoy that stuff. I I'm, I was always been a big UFO fan. So like Project Blue Book now, I I love that. I gotta watch it every week. Um, yeah, same so, here. You know stuff like stuff like that. I mean, I even we even watch like Curse of Oak Island every week, and I'm always I always tell my wife this is the week they find the Holy Grail. This is the the Ark of the Covenant is definitely buried on the island. You know, and she just rolls her eyes at me. And of course they 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 find a piece of metal that's twisted. You know. Yeah. But it could have been, you know, it, it could have been could have happened. at one point that might have been part of the Holy Grail. But now it's a twisted piece of metal. Who knows? Sorry, um, I got I uh, got distracted by something here. Are we talking about Josh Gates? I love Josh Gates. <laughs> I love he, does, he does that stuff, too, though. Yeah, like, I love we, we watch. That's another we watch that every we watch it every week. He is he is hysterical. He is uh, even though even if they never, ever find anything. Um, my wife got pissed one time they were looking for, I forget what they were looking for, but they were actually in St. Augustine. They were, they were, you know, close by and the way they, he dug, I was, it, it looked like he found whatever they were looking for. I don't remember what it was. And she was all excited. And then we come back out of commercial and it was like a piece of glass or something. And she was like, son of a bitch. He got me. You know, he finally, I thought he actually found something. Yeah, see, that's where you and I differ. Is I don't have any patience with it. The the one time yeah, I forget what it even was, I thought, "Fuck, he's actually gonna find it." And then it's like you know a fucking marble or something. Yeah. And it's like, uh, no. He gets, you, he gets you. He gets you every time. That son of a bitch. But I love I love watching his show. It's hilarious though. Um, did you watch uh, Hellier? What is it? Hellier, H-E-L-L-I-E-R, on Amazon. No, what is that? Oh, dude, it's what it is. It's something you fucking really want to watch, I promise you. I'm, I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, it's a, a kind of a paranormal, supernatural, alien investigation kind of thing going on. But um, these guys are pretty damn convincing. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will check that out. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a great show. And two, it's I'm glad to hear you mention a uh, Project Blue Book. It seems like I watch it every week too, and it seems like I hear nobody talk about it. I'm like, am yeah. I the only person <laughs> in America that watches this show? Well, no, there's two of us. There's two of us. Yeah, so we're good. yeah. yeah, I think yeah, me, you, and Hunter, Hunter Shea. So <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Three Hunter, people. Yeah, that's, definitely, that's definitely up 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 his alley there. <laughs> What's funny is when I wrote the Beast, um, because I've read a bunch of his stuff from Severed Press, you know, all of his cryptid stuff, and I was like, yeah. all right, I got to write something that Hunter's not going to be like, what the hell are you doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, Hunter, Hunter's like sometimes he'll like I'm I was always big into cryptids and. You know, he'll come up with some stuff that, like, I didn't even really know too well. Like, I was aware of, like, you know, the Dover Demon and stuff, but not as not as well as he was, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much knows all of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, but, I mean, he's studied the fuck out of that stuff and traveled around researching it. And... Yeah. So he's definitely the guy. Anytime I have a monster question, he's always the first guy I contact. But I don't know, uh, I don't know what the Dover Demon is. What is that? Or, uh, it was it's it was like a I don't know too much about it off the top of my head, but it was I think it was like in the seventies, but it was kind of like a famous like UFO type case. Uh, okay. I'm just wondering if this is regional because I'm like I don't think we have any legendary critters oh, around oh, here. Oh, you do, Laura. Oh, you do. Yes. You what do we Hop- have? The Hopkinsville well, goblins. Oh, Hellier's there. That's okay. Yeah, you're right. And also that church <laughs> of that Todd Kiesling wrote about that I'm gonna go right. Yeah. <laughs> broadcast from some night when I'm feeling very brave. Devil's Creek. Yeah, a real place in Kentucky. Up in the hills, of course, because that's all Kentucky is. <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't think uh, Pennsylvania really has any. Like, anytime you see any of those cryptid things, it's like Thunderbirds. And I'm like, well, that's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else gets, like, aliens, demons, lake monsters. We get some big-ass bird. <laughs> Yeah, see, for us, for us, it would be some kind of fucking mutant beaver or something. <laughs> is, you know, that, is, that, is that not that what your new... minor league baseball team is called? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mutant beaver. Mutant beaver. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that is our, is our minor league baseball team, when we had them, was the beavers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that needs to be the next thing that you work on, Shane, is mutant beavers. <laughs> You know, I don't know if I could do reverential justice to that. <laughs> I, I think you could. <laughs> and you will never know until you try. That is very true. God damn you, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Armand, I know that you uh, you said you grew up in Jersey and stuff. And I was just curious, based on – because Jersey, there's like – certain parts are like Giants fans and there's like Eagles fans, Philly fans. Were you more of a Philadelphia sports fan or New York? All right. So here's, here's, here's the funny with me. Uh, I grew up in set with what's what I call central Jersey. And if you're from the, if you're from North Jersey or South Jersey, you don't recognize that there's a central Jersey. <laughs> I actually, my whole family grew up 
uh, Yankee fans. And I grew up a Boston Red Sox fan, which is probably the worst thing that you could. Throw <laughs> up uh, so and I, and I, so I don't like any like I grew up an Oakland Raider fan and I grew up the only team. I the only local team was actually the New Jersey Devils was the only team that I actually followed. Like everything else was out of state. And for a while, I, I followed the Bruins, too. So so I, I despise, like, my brother. My brother's a Yankees fan and a Jets fan, which normally it's Yankees, Giants, Mets, Jets. But, like, all my friends I grew up with were all that. So, like, in 86, I was 16 years old and Red Sox in the World Series, and all my friends were suddenly Mets fans, and then Red Sox blew it. And um, I remember it was awful. I was, like, went to bed crying, like, 16 years old, crying my eyes out. I was never going to see the Red Sox win a World Series, you know? Uh, yeah, we shared that in common, too. I'm a Red Sox fan, and I was pretty damn sure, too, that that was never going to happen. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that was uh, some there was some <laughs> there was some bad years there. Yeah, there were. You know, it's it's funny. I, I always think I know Shane pretty well. I had no fucking idea he was a Red Sox fan. <laughs> See, this is why you guys do this. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, I think the only reason is because when I was 12 years old, I read Salem's Lot and Stephen King is a major Sox fan. And everything I've ever read by Steve, Stephen King seems to have a Sox reference in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just kind of that's who I gravitated to when I got interested in the sports ball that Laurel doesn't really want to talk about. <laughs> no, it's I don't care if you talk about it, but just know I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I like I I thought I had read somewhere like earlier that, you know, that you had lived in Jersey or grew up in Jersey and it's kind of close enough to like the Philadelphia area. I don't get to talk about a lot of that stuff. So I have another weird one that probably only one other person will care about. Um, there's like a regional, a regional delicacy there. And depending on where you live, it's either called Taylor ham or it's pork, pork roll. roll. It's, it's, it's yes. only called pork roll. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not called Taylor ham. That's the, that's the, company that's in trenton no it's it's pork roll yeah i'm glad i'm glad we agree on that and like i said shane and laurel probably both like what the <laughs> fuck but i'm a nerd and uh i don't get to talk about that stuff from back home too often so when, when me and my wife were first dating we'd, we'd only been dating a few months because uh, you can't you know you, you can't get like you know in jersey you can buy the five pound of pork roll and cut it yourself and down here, Publix has like the little red box with like six evenly sliced pieces. And uh, so I would buy it and I would make it. So I said to her, listen, I'm going to make you a pork roll, egg and cheese sandwich. But if you don't like this, I'm not sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're meant to be together. So but she, was, <laughs> but she ate it and she was like, oh, it's pretty good. And I was like, OK. And then I made one for her sister. And she's like, oh, this is like spam. And I'm like, don't ever say that again. <laughs> Don't ever, don't ever let me hear you say that again. It's not like spam. It's so, yeah, it's so, really so, nothing like spam. Sounds like saying that that sounds like the most horrid thing on the planet is not going to be a popular statement here, so I won't say that. Yeah, you should shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm telling you, Shane, if you had it, it's, it's delicious. And it's funny because the reason I asked him that is because people – 
people get like very very upset like if you run into somebody that calls it taylor ham and you tell them it's pork roll they will lose their goddamn minds oh yeah (laughs) so when we go up to jersey every year for beers and fears um one of the things i always do like the first year we did it my wife's like all right let's kind of put an itinerary you know the people you want to see blah 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 and i'm like okay i want to go I, I got we got to go to a diner every night after the book signing because I got to get a pork roll egg and cheese sandwich from a diner. Um, you know I got to go to Ruts Hut to get a hot dog. I got to go to Keyport Fishery. I start naming, and she's like, no, no, I mean people. And I'm like, fuck people. I'm going there to eat. And literally, if you want to hang out with me, you're going to go out and you're going to eat with me. And that's that's how we do it every year. So I always get I'll either get a Monte Cristo, which is totally different down here than a Monte Cristo in Jersey. Um, and so I, I always get a Monte Cristo and I always get a pork roll like uh, egg and cheese sandwich. And like those are like the two things I have to get probably like six or seven times then and then a lot of hot dogs. I'm I'm high fiving you across the yeah. country here because yeah. I, <laughs> I I plan all of my trips around the food that I'm gonna eat. Like yeah, not like fuck seeing people. It's Absolutely. what restaurants yeah. I gonna hit. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if if it was the people I was going for, I'd fucking stay home. <laughs> you know what? That's that's the way I, that's the way I look at it too. Because I'm like, listen, there's a reason I'm this fat. It's because of good Jersey food. So that's that's literally that's why we're going there, and we're and we eat a lot of pizza up there. Because the first time we went to Seaside Heights, and my wife, we you know it's just it's that's just like normal average pizza for Jersey. And my wife got a piece of like bigger as big as her head, you know. She's like, "This is one slice of pizza." And I'm like, "I'm like, uh, yeah." Or we went to a we went to a place. She uh, ordered a sub, and I'm not even thinking that we're not in Florida anymore. And she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get a whole sub." And the guy's like, "Are you sure?" And she, she's like, "Yeah, yeah." So she ordered the whole sub, which is like you know, 14 feet long. Is a normal Jersey sub, and uh, we were sitting in the car eating, and it was literally she had to roll the window down to put like it out the window. It was so big, like she couldn't even eat like the half of it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, like the food is is better and bigger here. (laughs) Everything is larger. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I, you know, my biggest regret in life is that I can't eat near as much as I could when I was in my teens and 20s yeah 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 i get i get uh, i'm bigger but yet i get full full faster so down here we have crystals which is like for me it's like the the worst version of white castle and when i was in my 20s and i was completely sober we went to a concert in asbury park and then we stopped and i started eating white castle burgers and all my friends were buying them i ate 34 white castles <laughs> in like an hour and, like, I eat 10 now, and I think I'm going to die. Like, my stomach is ripped up for, like, three days, you know? But I'm like, I cannot believe I ate 34 of these. Yeah. Literally just one after the other. But they're tiny. Yeah. They're just I, used to, I used to live by this restaurant when I was with my first wife that uh, if you could eat an entire 12-egg omelet stuff, with <laughs> it was going to be free. Yeah. But I was a 25-year-old, and that was a stupid thing to offer me. <laughs> I like – I've heard that story from Shane before, and I like the original ending. He's like, I had a lot of free omelets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did not like it. But you know what? I tipped really fucking well. Yeah. <laughs> Like, if I have to pay for the omelet, the tip is going to go down. 
gonna say a 12 egg omelet dude i could i could probably take care of that right now i don't know i don't think i could i think i would die i had a th- <laughs> i had a three egg omelet the other night and wasn't sure i was gonna survive it <laughs> come on shane nobody likes a quitter <laughs> <laughs> Now, if he's going to suffer over food, it should be like ice cream, you know, exactly. don't don't, don't kill yourself over eggs. It's yeah, something worth dying for whiskey or ice cream or something. <laughs> exactly. Bacon. Bacon. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Got to admit it. Um, so, Armand, do you have uh, anything else burning that you would like to talk about before we wrap this up and let you get some sleep? No, I'm good. Yeah, I got I to gotta get to sleep. I got to get up in a couple hours and start writing again. Okay, well, right on. Thank you for being here, and hope to have you on again soon. All right, don't you know jerk me around like you guys have done for the last <laughs> several weeks. You, know? you got me all excited, and then you, you you know every time you're like ah, you just pulled it back off. And on. But that's part of the fucking ambiance, man. We do that with every guest. <laughs> maybe it made me all nervous to come on. Like I was, oh my god, I'm I'm, I'm missing I'm missing something here if they keep uh, messing with me like this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad we finally managed to make it happen, and we'll definitely make it happen again. Um, a lot of appreciate it. Yeah, I've had a great time too. So uh, we'll let, let you go. Thank you for being here, and thank you to all three of our listeners for checking out this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we'll you get four next. after this. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Armand. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking yeah, to you. Yeah. Take That's it awesome. easy, man. <laughs>